0: Let, let, will you pray with me as we as we get started? Jesus, we come before you, and we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for truth. We are so thankful, Lord, that you instruct us in how we can live and follow you and serve you, and we pray that this morning you would just soften every one of our hearts to be able to receive from you. We trust that you have something for each one of us. Um. So, Lord, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Today, we are finishing up the series that we have been in for the last couple of months that we've been calling Deeply Formed. We have spent the last several weeks sort of examining, um, you know, what kind of life practices and rhythms and values that God is inviting us into as we are sort of emerging from a year of isolation um, and pandemic. And I hope that this series has been helpful for you. I hope that there's been some tools or some practices that you've heard about that you've been able to uh, take and, uh, and use as you are thinking about how you want to reconstruct your life, your priorities and your values, your rhythms and everything for you and your family. And so today I want to wrap up the series we've been in by talking all about pace. What is the pace of life that God calls us to live at? And how do we know if we are doing it right? And what are the consequences for living at the wrong pace? A few years ago, I was in Central Oregon. Every year, my family, we, we take a, a family vacation together down to Sun River. And um, this was shortly after my wife had had our firstborn, uh, Lewis. And, um, and so we were, we were hanging out one night at our house in Sun River. And my brother, Jesse, he came up to me and he asked, hey, I'm going to go climb uh i'm gonna go do a hike tomorrow do you and carly want to join me and gretchen and i was like sure sounds good i'm in and i said what hike are we doing he said oh we're gonna do south sister and i was like cool great whatever let's go sounds good um so early the next morning we we got up we packed up for the hike and because i didn't bother to look up what i was getting myself into i grabbed a quick like peanut butter sandwich got a liter of water, threw a couple of sour beers in my pack to enjoy at whatever the end of this hike would be, um, and, and that was it. And we drove down to the, the trailhead and uh, started hiking, and it wasn't long into the hike before something dawned on me, it clicked. We are climbing a mountain, <laughs> like a real mountain, like we are going way, way, way up there. Um, and Carly was still recovering from having a baby. I was still recovering from eating way too much cured meat and cheese and being really out of shape. So, uh, but you know what? I never backed down from a challenge. Let's go. So after a few miles of hiking, Jesse and Gretchen abandoned me and Carly because we were so slow. <laughs> they were literally training for a marathon. We were recovering from sleepless nights. But we could see the top, so we were going to keep going all the way. Just Keep walking. Get to the top. Finally, after huffing and puffing our way to the top of what we could see, we, we knew we just got to get there. We're really close. We're going to make it. And We're exhausted. And I am a few yards ahead of Carly. I reach, come up over this ridge, and Carly says, please tell me that the view is worth it. Is it beautiful up there? And I said, it is beautiful, but I think you're going to hate this view because we're nowhere near the top. It was a false summit, and we still had to go, all the way up. We were halfway. Um, But again, we do not back down. So we kept walking. We kept being passed by fitter and faster hikers, even some trail. (laughs) People were running to the top of this thing. And we eventually made it to the summit. And here's a picture of of us. Um, We look better than we felt. Now, I was completely out of water and had only two sour beers in my pack, which I foolishly drank because I was thirsty. And we trudged our way back to the car, uh, like sunburned and miserable. And when we finally got home, I felt like I had been hit by a train. I was so dehydrated. I had a terrible headache. My legs were all cramped up. But hey, we made the memory, so it was worth it. Sometimes it feels like life sort of ambushes us. Like we're not really sure what kind of trail that we're hiking, and we didn't actually bring along what was needed to get through it. And instead of going at a pace that is healthy, we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing until we finally break down and it hurts Or we set goals and we just, if only I can just get to that. If only I can achieve this thing only to discover that it was a false summit and that we were aiming at the wrong target. And so as we are rebuilding after a year of pandemic, we have to ask ourselves hard questions about what it is that we are aiming for and what is the pace that God is calling us to live at. You see, the tension of the Christian life is this. How do I pour myself out for the mission of God and do it in a way that doesn't lead to burnout? <laughs> a handful of weeks ago, I joined a cult. Um, I uh, started doing CrossFit. I know I'm in process. It doesn't look like I'm CrossFit yet, but I'm doing it, okay? And um, and what's what's been a fun discovery for me is to discover that I'm actually very much the type of person who is susceptible to cults. So, pray for me. Um, Now, CrossFit, if you don't know, is an intense group exercise sort of class, and I'm usually the person in the room who is in the worst shape. And this week, as we were doing this workout together, I found myself between two guys who were built like Greek gods. Like, these were guys who were going to cool down by riding their bike 40 miles after the workout that we went to. And I, and so... I'm a competitive person, and I, I want to do this workout. I want to push myself, and so I'm matching their pace for the first few minutes of this workout, I'm, and I'm feeling good about it. I'm not so out of shape. I'm making progress. Look, I can do it. The problem was I let them set my pace, and I completely burned out. In like three minutes and found myself feeling sick and miserable and they're smiling at the end of the workout I needed to be carried to my car it was rough we we some we so often allow someone else to determine the speed at which we live our lives but here's the thing God has created us to walk not according to the speed the pace the rhythms of the world or other people around us, but rather according to the rhythms that he has literally designed and created us to live within. So I recently heard a message from a pastor in New York, a guy named John Tyson, and he, he gives this example of sort of three paces that are common for us in our lives. The first pace that he, that he described was uh, the fatal pace. And this is running after something at an unsustainable speed. It's the rise and grind or the hustle culture. And this pace is often described with like expressions or language, things like I'm crushing it or I'm killing it, which is all really violent language for how to do life. And sometimes people live at this pace because they have an internal drive to push themselves harder and harder and achieve and achieve and achieve. But also, some people are pushed to live at this pace by other people. A demanding boss, a feeling of trying to keep up with your peers, everybody that you knew when you were younger, how far along in life are they? Maybe expectations from your parents, or especially toxic presentations of other people's lives on social media. In Jesus' most famous sermon, founded Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, called the Sermon on the Mount, he refers to this way of living as, like, the pagan pace. He says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, don't run after the things or worry yourself about the same things that the rest of the world is worrying about. Don't stress about food or clothes or image or success as the world defines it. No, instead, orient all of your life towards God, and you will discover that you have enough. In his recent book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer writes this. He says, hurry is violence on the soul. That living at this fatal pace, it does violence to our lives. It damages us. It damages our bodies and our emotional health and our relationships and our families. And Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 16. He says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What do you benefit if you gain fill-in-the-blank? Whatever the world is to you, whether it's that job promotion or it's, um, you know, be, be what, some version of being a successful parent or finally finding a spouse Or whatever it is, that this this is the aim, this is my desire, this is my dream. What do you benefit if you gain that thing, but it still damages or destroys your soul? And you see, the, the thing about that is that even good things can easily become God things in our lives. And whatever you give yourself to will ultimately leave you dry. Even if it's your family, or your kids, or a cause of justice, or things like religious zeal, any form of what the Bible calls idolatry will ultimately lead to your destruction. And the truth is that pastors and leaders in the church, as we've seen in recent years especially, can be the absolute worst about this. Sacrificing themselves and their families and their own well-being for the sake of their church or some kind of version of ministry success, working like Jesus, thinking it's for Jesus— and losing their souls in the process. So that's the first pace, the fatal pace. The second pace is called the complacent pace. And in many ways, it is an overreaction to the first one. That in recognizing the toxicity of our hustle and grind culture, many people step all the way back into a lifestyle of complacency. They took their foot, they take their foot off the gas, And they make the aim of their lives simple pleasures and leisure. And man, this is so appealing, especially for millennials like me, of which I am the foremost. That that just the idea of living for brunches, followed by happy hours, followed by dinners, followed by nightcaps, weekend hikes, hashtag van life. Come on. It's idolizing the the idea of work life balance, being so careful not to overdo it that you end up doing very little. Um, Right now, I'm reading The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien uh, to my son, my five year old, and he loves it and he cracks up page after page at the number of times that this fat little hobbit, Bilbo Baggins, is on the adventure of his lifetime, finally for the first time in his life, discovering that he has, like, a purpose, that somebody sees something in him beyond just sort of his normal life, and all he can think about is how much he wants bacon. And I was like, I've never related to a character more than Bilbo Baggins. And this right now is in the air, like the American workforce is currently going through a massive restructuring as people are quitting their jobs en masse to find something that fulfills them a little bit more or that benefits their lifestyle a little bit better. The complacent pace, idolizing balance, this is the ultimate expression and picture of privilege It's an American obsession that if we look around us beyond the borders of our country or even our generation, we discover this is not something that's afforded to most people in the world. Speaking on the idea of balance, John Ortberg writes this in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He says, the paradigm of balance simply doesn't capture the sense of compelling urgency worthy of human devotion it is largely a middle class pursuit it lacks the notion that my life is to be given to something bigger than myself it lacks the call to sacrifice and self-denial the wild risky costly adventurous abandon of following jesus ask hungry children in somalia if they want if they want to help you achieve balance and you will discover that they were hoping for something more from you and i believe that deep down you are probably hoping for something more from yourself. The solution to the fatal pace is not the complacent pace. And the solution to the complacent pace isn't the fatal pace. And sadly, many of us find ourselves in different seasons of life sort of ping-ponging back and forth between the two, working ourselves to death to the point of burnout and then quitting everything until and then and doing that for a while only to find ourselves back in the fatal pace again. We burn out, we crash, but Jesus has something better for us. He calls us to a sacred pace. We were designed physically, spiritually, and emotionally to walk in healthy rhythms. The Bible teaches us from the very first pages that God designed the universe to have rhythm to it, and that we were created to live in it. He created the universe to have morning and evening, day and night, seasons, winter, spring, summer and fall, times of work, times of rest, times to push hard, and times to cease. And as followers of Jesus, we are all called to the tension of a sacred pace, finding the sweet spot between pushing hard and pouring ourselves out and living the cruciform life Taking up our cross and giving everything that we have for the mission, and at the same time, resting deeply and enjoying the fruit of our labor. Again, John Mark Comer writes One of the key tasks of our apprenticeship to Jesus is living into our potential and our limitations. I love that. Our potential and our limitations. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter five, 5 says it like this. He says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We are to walk with the Spirit of God, neither running out ahead of him nor lagging behind. That the call of a follower of Jesus is to let the Holy Spirit be the pace setter for our journey. And here's the thing it's not a leisurely journey. It can be really hard. God will absolutely call you to push yourself to your very limits. Look at the language of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. He writes, Do you not know that in a race, all the, racers, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. I pummel my body. I make it a slave. I run to win the prize. He says, I turn up. The intensity and the speed and the incline on my treadmill. I go as hard as I can. Paul was driven on mission. He had an urgency to not waste his life on trivialities. Look at Colossians chapter 1, describing his own ministry. Again, Paul writes, He, speaking of Jesus, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ to this end i strenuously contend with all my energy with all the energy christ so powerfully works in me he says i strenuously contend the greek word that's used here is agonesomai, and w- and it means what it sounds like paul agonizes he strains he contends but notice that he agonizes with the energy that christ powerfully works in me not according to his own might, his own will, his own grit and determination. No, according to Christ's power that is at work within him. And so keeping in step with the Spirit will push you to strain, to run, to work hard. And I want to ask us as a church and each, each individual here in the room and watching online, this question of do you feel like you are keeping up with the Spirit? Or do you feel like he is pushing a bit harder than you are pushing? And how is it that I can get myself aligned with his drive for the mission of God in the world? And the Holy Spirit will hold you at a pace of deep rest, joy, and peace. There's a a story of a young leader who uh, went up to Dallas Willard, who's one of my favorite writers, and um, he asks him the question, he says, he asked Dallas, what word would you, descri- would you use to describe the life and ministry of Jesus? And in this young leader's mind, he was thinking of words like holy or powerful or anointed or focused or something like that. And Dallas looks at him and smiles and says, relaxed. And you're like, it's jarring. Gee, what? You would describe Jesus' ministry as Relaxed. But when you think about it, Jesus, when, from the very beginning, when he first launched into ministry, he begins by retreating to the wilderness to pray and fast for 40 days. We see that when he was going to and from places, he would be out on the sea in a boat, and there will be a storm blowing all around him, and Jesus is asleep in the boat taking a nap. When his family comes to try to get him to be more public with his ministry, to go to the bigger cities, he sets boundaries. He retreats early in the mornings to be alone with the Father. He's frequently found sitting at a dinner table as someone's guest, leisurely receiving hospitality. Jesus, for the entire three years, easily the most fruitful three years that anyone in the history of the world has ever had, did this with non-anxious presence. He was unhurried, and he lived a life that was full and fruitful. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of Matthew chapter 16, a familiar text for many of us. Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. This is the description of the life, the pace that God has created us to live at. Hard work and deep Joyful rest, strenuously contending, but only according to the energy that Christ works in me, pouring out every drop, but daily receiving and being filled to overflow. Do you know that this is the, the life that you were created to experience? Did you know that God doesn't expect you to live on the edge of burnout? Did you know that you are meant for a life that has impact and enjoyment? And all of us desire this. Every one of us is looking for this sweet spot. How do I get there? How do I live at the sacred pace? How do we learn the unforced rhythms of grace? I want to offer just a couple of practices for us as we begin this journey of learning how to keep in step with the Spirit. First and most importantly, we need the practice of examination. We need to check the trajectory and the motivations of our lives. We need to closely examine the source from which all of our ambition flows. And so at the beginning of this series, uh, a couple of months ago now, we talked about the importance of regularly practicing contemplative rhythms for interior examination. We need to check our vision. Am I going in the direction that God wants me to? Am I aiming at the things that he cares about? Or am I wasting my life on what the pagans, what the, what the rest of the world is chasing after? Do I have a kingdom vision for my work, my future, for my family, and for my finances? Or is all of this toil to satisfy my own selfish ambition? What am I aiming at? Are Jesus' values guiding my planning and my decision-making? Or am I following somebody else's script? Is my calling clear? Do I know what I was created for? Do I I have clarity about what God is calling me to invest my life in, or am I settling for something else? And so I want to encourage you to take time in this season to carefully consider these questions and to be courageous and brave about it. Maybe talk through these with a counselor or a spiritual director. In fact, I have an appointment with a spiritual director tomorrow morning, and this is my agenda, is to pray and talk and listen through these kind of questions or maybe schedule a date night if you have if you're married with your spouse where you work through these things together and then make bold and courageous choices to correct your course so that what you're aiming at in life is the is the very things that God is calling you to live to and the second practice is the practice of sabbath And I believe that this is the most valuable practice for resisting the fatal pace and the complacent pace and living into the sacred pace. You see, God literally wove the rhythm of weekly rest and delight and worship into the fabric of our humanity. And so if we seek to keep in step with the Spirit, then we need to align ourselves with God's rhythms. Genesis 1 tells us that God, the creator God who made everything, that he himself rested on the seventh day and that he created us and commands us to do the same thing. Consider the fact that God made a top 10 list of rules to follow, right? And and carved it into stone just in case we didn't really get the point. And that one of those rules rules on that list was taking one day each week to cease from our work and to replenish our soul like it's commanded and yet this commandment is the one that mo- is most difficult for christian um, for american christians to obey and to be honest i have been personally reluctant about wanting to preach this because this is something that i am weak in i am not a good sabbather um, and so so I wrestled, like, m- maybe I shouldn't preach this because, you know, like, everybody knows that I suck at it. And uh, But the truth is, if I never preached anything, if I only preach things I don't suck at, the list would be quite small of things that we cover. So I am preaching this sermon to my own heart as much as anyone else. In his book, Sabbath, Wayne Muller writes this. He says, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, Illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. I mean, how many of you discovered that to be true? That at times of great stress, where you're nearing burnout, where you're about to hit that wall, suddenly you find yourself sick or you find yourself just like crashing completely and where you could have been taking Sabbaths of delight Instead, you find yourself resting on a sickbed. It literally happened to me two weeks ago. And it was the first time that I've really rested. And unfortunately, I don't remember any of it because I had 104 <laughs> fever and was completely delirious the whole time. Our bodies and our minds and our emotions were created to surrender to rhythms of rest. And when we do not surrender to it, we eventually break down. And so what we need to understand is that the practice of Sabbath is actually a gift that we are commanded to enjoy. I love that. Sabbath is a gift that you are commanded to enjoy. It's recognizing that the limits of our lives are a gift to keep us hemmed in to the life that we were created for. In her book, Sacred Rhythms, Ruth Haley Barton writes this. Sacred Rhythms, by the way. Read it. It is so good. Ruth Haley Barton has been such a guide for me. She writes this, There is something deeply spiritual about honoring the limitations of our existence as human beings. Physical bodies in a world of time and space. A peace descends upon our lives when we accept what is real rather than always pushing beyond our limits. Something about being gracious and accepting and gentle with ourselves at least once a week enables us to be more gracious and accepting and gentle with others. There is a freedom that comes from being who we are in God and resting in God that eventually enables us to bring something truer to the world than all of our doing. Sabbath-keeping helps us to live within our limits because on the Sabbath— in many different ways, we allow ourselves to be the creature in the presence of our Creator. We touch something more real in ourselves and others than what any of us is able to produce. We touch the very being, or touch our very being in God. Sabbath keeping is honoring our limits instead of trying to defeat our limits. And in honoring our limitations, we position ourselves to receive something that is beyond us. We, we have this tendency to want to reach beyond ourselves and to grasp something that is just out of reach. And the paradox is, God says, I will give that to you if you cease reaching. If you just relax, I will give you what you are looking for. We relax into our creatureliness and experience the presence of the creator so the question is how do we do it what does it mean to keep the sabbath i'm not going to do an extensive teaching on it but just a couple of of key points first of all sabbath is not just taking a day off in fact eugene peterson wrote a day off is a bastard sabbath felt good (laughs) An American day off is, where, is a day where we do all of our non-paying work, like shopping or laundry or yard work. It's a day where we attempt to cram as much recreation as possible, um, just activities after activities. It's a day where we go and we watch like four soccer games for all the kids in our family. We go to some tournament somewhere else. We, we, we just busy ourselves. And Sabbath As the Bible describes it as something that is altogether different. The heart of the Sabbath is that we cease from our work so that we can rest and delight in God. And that everything that we choose to do in our Sabbath practices is meant to move us toward that goal. And so it helps to have some rules and some structures for your Sabbath to protect it from becoming that day off. So, a couple of key things. First of all, Sabbath is a weekly practice. Every seven days. And you can choose whichever day is best for you and for your family, but it ought to be a consistent day as much as possible each week. And Sabbath is a communal practice. So it ought to be a day that your whole family can enjoy together. And I say that because I understand just how tempting it is for me to say, I would prefer to Sabbath on a day where my family's not around. (laughs) Because it's easier like, how do you rest when you've got a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a seven-month-old? Like, I'm literally asking, how do you do it? I don't know. <laughs> and so when you're, fa- when you're shaping your Sabbath, think about all of these, these elements and how you can cease from the things that are so routine and rote and so, like, constantly bombarding you to be able to receive something from God. When you're shaping your sabbath three things that you'll want to exclude from your day are work consumerism and worry and every person's definition of work is going to vary but as a good rule i would just say are you checking a box or are you delighting in something that god has given you some people can garden unto the lord and feel rested and receive from jesus some people feel like they just got to go mow their lawn And so you have to check your own heart. For me, I moved out to the country um, and uh, loving it, loving who who it's making me. I'm becoming a different person. I love sitting on the tractor and mowing the field. Oh my gosh, it's like the best. It is so rejuvenating. But mowing my lawn does not scratch that same itch. So I have to be careful about what is rest and what is not. And then we want to replace those things, work and consumerism and worry. With with uh, with good things, resting the body, replenishing the spirit, and restoring the soul. And so, Sabbath is a day of sleeping in, and having pancakes for breakfast. It's a day for listening to really good music and enjoying uh, enjoy making food. Maybe if you have a spouse, doing it together. It's a day to play and nap and make love. It's a day of reading scripture and a good novel and poetry. It's a day to go on a walk in nature. It's a day to be with Jesus, walking with him with no agenda. And as we practice the Sabbath, when it becomes the day that the rest of your week is oriented around, you discover that the rest of your life somehow manages to fall into place, it's the first practice that aligns our pace with God's. It's taking a day to keep in step with the Spirit. And here's the thing. It takes practice. It's not natural. Many of us did not grow up with this rhythm as being common in our own homes. It's foreign. And so it takes a lot of planning and preparation and intention. But as we do it, we discover that it is exactly what we need. And as we get into God's weekly rhythm, we begin to to be drawn into God's bigger rhythms, the seasonal rhythms, recognizing that life isn't just sort of like a constant conveyor belt, but that there are seasons where you work really hard and there are seasons where you rest. Um, Where, you know, in church world, we're, we're doing that this next month. We're recognizing that we need to step back for a month each year and just focus on each other and on prayer and relax So that we can move into the next season with intention, believing that God is big enough to keep us on mission while we're resting, and that he will use that rest to propel us on mission as we move forward. We notice that God is a good shepherd who adjusts our pace according to different seasons of our lives. And so when you have a new baby or you start a new career or you become empty nesters or you retire, you notice that the pace adjusts somehow. You don't need to be going at the same pace that you were going at when you were 23. And you are simply called to keep in step with the Spirit to receive the gift of Sabbath as a gift. I keep thinking about, I, I um, on Monday, as part of our Sabbath time, uh, we took the kids to Lewis Hill Park to take them swimming. My kids are not comfortable with water. They are like scared of it, and I'm determined to break that. So we, we went to the, the river, got their life jackets on, and it was a perfect day. And the water was perfect. It was amazing. And I kept trying to encourage them to come out with me a little bit deeper. And they go, they dip their toe in, they go to, up to ankle deep. We made it as far as like knee deep. That was about as far as they would go. But I kept thinking about the fact that as my, the, the parents of these little kids, I know them. And I know what is going to be life-giving for them. I have good things for them. If only they just trust me to come out with me a little further into the water. And I feel like God is doing the same thing to us, to each one of us as American Christians in the 21st century. He's saying, trust me, I know what's good for your soul. And what is good for your soul is rest. And what is good for your soul is to push hard on mission. And what's good for your soul is to focus on the right things. Just trust me that if you let go of some of these things, you will find life with me. That's good news. That's the gospel. The gospel is joining Jesus in everything that he's called us to do, joining him in his mission, and discovering that this is the way to true life. So the question I want to ask you is, how is your pace right now? Do you feel like your life is being filled up and poured out, or do you mostly feel drained and empty? As we are working towards rebuilding this deeply formed life, we need to pace it with Jesus. We need to learn the unforced rhythms of grace so that we might learn to live freely and lightly. Amen?